This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Bismillah alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Brothers and sisters in Islam, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I already feel part of you, your family and you are part of mine. And it is a pleasure and honor for me to be here to address you on such an important topic. In fact, it is the pinnacle of our deen and the whole purpose of our creation. We need to develop. And the way we develop is through our actions. And our actions cannot be accepted unless our intention is correct. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, In the hadith which is muttafaq alayhim, Bukhari and Muslim, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ I begin with this hadith, very important hadith, because I think this is the foundation of any good action or bad action, in fact. Good action and bad actions. Allah, Rasul Sallallahu said, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى As a matter of fact, إِنَّمَا as a matter of fact, all actions, whether they are good or bad, all actions are judged by your intentions. And for every person will receive the reward or the punishment of the action which they do based on their intention. So whoever, for example, Rasul Sallallahu has given us an example, their migration is for the sake of Allah and His Messenger, then their migration is for that. Meaning that's the reward they will receive for that. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا But whoever's intention of migrating, for example, is for a worldly gain. أَوْ امْرَأَةٍ يَنْكِحُهَا Or to marry a woman فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ Then his migration or her migration is for that which they intended to go for. I mentioned that even bad deeds are judged by your intentions. I'd need to make a very important note on that. When a person does a bad action, if they don't know that it's a wrong action, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at your intention. All that is asked of you is to try your best in investigating an action before doing it. If a Muslim does not investigate a bad action, an action before doing it, in order to know whether it's right or wrong, continuously like that, then that person falls into the sins of those actions afterwards. But if you try your best, and you happen to make a mistake, even with sincerity, even with investigation and advice, then that action is judged by your intention. An example of that is when Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked or commanded the Muslims, the Muhajirin and the Ansar in the Battle of Khandaq. Have you all heard of the Battle of Khandaq? Battle of Khandaq. When the neighboring Jewish tribe called Bani Quraiza were in a treaty agreement with the Muslims and they had betrayed the Muslims and they were about to be the cause of the massacre and destruction and annihilation of the Prophet ﷺ and all the Muslims in Medina. So Rasul ﷺ, he did not take his armor off and said to the Muslims, we will not pray Asr except in Bani, at Bani Quraiza. So some of them went before others. 
a group that was after, behind, they couldn't reach the Prophet ﷺ in time, the Asr time was almost over. It was almost Maghrib. So a group of them, they differed. A group of them said, you know, we should take the Prophet ﷺ's words literally. For he does not speak out of his own whims. So they use that dalil. He does not speak out of his own whims except from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what he has inspired to him. And another group said, no, no, no. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Prayer has been prescribed upon the believers in an appointed time. So each one used evidence that is credible. The only difference now, I mean they both have the evidence which is credible, but they have different opinions, right? The only thing now that will make or break is their intentions. This group, why do you want to pray only at Bani Quraiza? Do you really follow the Prophet ﷺ or is it a trick from you like the hypocrites? Are you trying to make fitna? Are you trying to say that you belong to this particular group? Because maybe in that group there's your cousin there. And your cousin has a say, right? And you want to make everybody look like this group is right because my cousin spoke out. Or this other group, why are you speaking that way? Is it because he's of your tribe and you want to make your tribe look like they know everything? So you know, the whims and desires that the shaitan puts in you. Either one could be correct. But the intention was the most important thing. After they tried and struggled to find out what is correct. So they differed anyway. A group prayed their Asr before the Maghrib came. So before they arrived at Bani Quraiza. And another group waited until Maghrib time came and they prayed their Asr in Maghrib, at the Maghrib time at Bani Quraiza. When they arrived at the Prophet ﷺ, they said, Ya Rasulullah, this is what happened to us. What's the solution? And what did the Prophet ﷺ say? He said, You have both targeted the correct target. He didn't even say who was right or wrong. You can take it as being both right if you like. But the expression that Rasul ﷺ used was asabtum. You both asabtum. You both reached the target. What is the target? Two conditions. Sincerity in your heart. And secondly, you've done everything within your capability of knowledge and investigation to try and come to what is more correct. And that was all that needed to be known. That was the important thing. Now I ask you brothers and sisters in Islam, having started off with this, is it not that our whole religion is based on our intentions? And is it not that when we do an act, we try our best to do the right act? And then if we are wrong in that act, why should we separate? Our actions which we do should not separate us even if we differ in our opinions. For the actions are judged by your intentions. And maybe all the actions which cause fitna between us, good actions or bad actions that cause fitna between us, really do come down to what comes out from here, from the hearts. Listen to what Iblis said to Allah when the great debate happened about the prostration to Adam and Iblis refused. He said a very important statement which is in the Quran. I don't know if you've reflected over this particular statement. Let me recite it to you. Iblis said, 
أرأيتك هذا الذي كرمت على هساب وعزتك وجلالك فبما أغويتني the one whom you have made me into error وجلالك, by your honor and by your might لأقعدن لهم صراطك المستقيم you've heard of this verse لأقعدن لهم صراطك المستقيم I am going to sit awaiting for them on your straight path do you know what that means? It means that all the actions and the commands which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us, the compulsory commands, the voluntary things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves us doing, the nafil prayers and the nafil fasting and the voluntary donations and the voluntary acts of goodness when you go out to help your brother or your sister who is in need or bringing a smile to your brother's face or your sister's face. Can you obviously bring a smile to your sister's face? Someone who's related to you, inshaAllah. I don't want brothers going around now looking, finding where the sisters are sitting outside strangers and trying to bring a smile to their face. One brother, he was with me in Melbourne and he said to me before he got married, he said, oh brother, let's bring a smile to those sisters' face. I go, what business do you have with them? Go bring a smile to your brother's face first. <laughs> he said, you know, get to know them and then marry them. He said, ya akhil kareem, please, don't let the shaitan play with your mind. Intentions. So, you do all these different good acts. You know, thousands and thousands of good acts. We can't mention them all, inshallah. You do these good acts, the shaitan is waiting for you on that path. And a lot of us, we think that the shaitan comes to us and the only thing he whispers in our minds is to do bad acts. We all, this is always what we've got in our mind. We tell our children, don't lie, the shaitan whispers to you to lie. We tell our children, don't cheat, the shaitan tells you to cheat. We tell the brothers and sisters, don't mix, free mix in a haram way. The shaitan always is the third. If a man and woman are alone in one room, don't think all these bad acts. Don't drink alcohol, you know how bad it is. Don't approach zina, you know what Allah says, the shaitan whispers. But what we sometimes forget is one of the most, the number one trick in the book of the shaitan. And that is, if he can't get to the believer... In something which is so obviously wrong in action, what does he do? He comes to wait for you on your good actions. And what does he do with that? Allah Akbar. This is the most subtle way and the best trick he does for the believers, for the strong believers. He comes up to you and says, You know, you've been helping out the Muslim community, Allah, mashallah. And you are involved in da'wah, mashallah. You're part of the organization. You're part of Al-Manar or you're part of like media. Or you're part of this or that organization, mashallah. Well done. Good on you. The shaitan tells you that. He, he, he whispers in your head and says to you, Good, good. It's very good. Keep going. But you know what he's doing at the same time? He's waiting. He says, I'm going to make him or her go and I'm going to make them use every energy in their body to do the good deed. And then when they do the good deed, without them realizing, I'm going to play with their intentions. And this is what the shaitan does. Hey look, people are saying good things about you. This is a blessing from Allah. You should increase in that good deed. So then you go to the next step. Yeah, continue. Look at that. You've just discovered that you've got a nice voice in Quran. You've got a nice way of speaking to people. Look how many people are following you. MashaAllah. Look at the sisters in the back. MashaAllah, they're intrigued by what you say. 
Soon you're going to get married. You can choose anyone you want. Look at these brothers, mashallah. They've got lots of fathers there. Impress the fathers. Get married for the sake of Allah. Get married. But impress them through your good work. So now he subtly changed your intention without you realizing. In the name of hasanat. In the name of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Marriage. Allah loves marriage. You know, guiding people. Mashallah, Allah loves guiding people. Right? All these things. And then he says to you, after a while, you find yourself doing these good deeds and wasting all that time. But your intention is now no longer fully for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What happens to those deeds? Allah says in the Quran about these types of people. Wallahi, this verse scares us. It says, the ones who their road, their road in life, their struggle in life, their seeking of good rewards in life becomes lost. They lose their path. And they assume all this time that they were doing good deeds. Allah spoke about the priests and the rabbis at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. This ayah came down in there about them. They do all these good deeds on the outside, but they're doing it not for Allah. They're doing it for the wrong God, for the wrong purpose. And if you work for a company, how can you expect a competing company to pay you? Have you ever imagined that? What are two companies here who are competing? What have you got? Two manufacturing companies. Give me some examples. Just so that I can wake you up a little. <laughs> Microsoft and? And Apple. So you work for Microsoft and you expect Apple to pay you. Doesn't make sense, does it? So these people, they work good deeds, but now I'm doing it for the people. I'm doing it for the marriage. I want to impress the fathers. I want to do it now for money. I want to do it so I can keep my position as... You know, the president of such and such, or the uh, leader of such and such, or the imam of such and such, or for this reputation, or that reputation. So now the deeds begin to become a disaster. I wanted to open it up with this because these are one of the most subtle tricks the shaitan attacks the true believers. However, Iblis did say something else. He had to admit something to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah knows everything shaitan is, is thinking. And he, Allah subhanahu wa knows everything, right? So the shaitan had to admit something. He said, one type of people I will not be able to lead them astray in their actions and I can never play tricks on them. What did he say? I will lead them all astray by sitting on their straight path except among your servants who obey you, listen to it very intricately. He's not saying all your servants. He is saying your servants, meaning the Muslims, the believers who follow you, who pray, who believe in you. Among them, not all of them. Among them is a special elite team. I will not be able to reach them. Who are they? Iblis admits. Al-Mukhlasin. They are the ones who are sincere. In their actions. They do it only seeking the pleasure of Allah. And only wanting the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And only wanting the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and fearing the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and fearing displeasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. This is what exacerbates, this is what exemplifies and gratifies any action, whether wallahi it's a tiny atom seed of an action or a big action the size of a mountain. There was a man who came from the mushrikeen at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He came to the Prophet ﷺ when they were about to go out into a battle. I'm not sure if, were, sure if it was the battle of Badr or Uhud. I'm not sure if it was Uhud or maybe a battle after that. So this man came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, I have come to bear witness that there is only one God worthy of worship and you are his messenger. I've come to accept your deen. The Prophet ﷺ, after explaining it to him, he made bay'ah, he pledged allegiance to this religion and bear witness that there is only one God and you are His Messenger. The call to jihad was there. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, you know, since you've just become a Muslim, you need to sit down and learn your deen, you're not obliged to go out right now. It's okay, you're exempt. You know what that Sahabi said? And I don't know his name, subhanAllah. In fact, in the books, it's not, his name is not mentioned. Why? Because the focus is not about names. The focus is not about identity or color or background of their culture. They come from Lebanon, wallah, India or Turkey or Pakistan or whatever it is. This is not important. Whether they are men or women, it doesn't matter. The actions of a person and their intention is what gives you the merit. Not your color or shape. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I did not become a Muslim to sit lazily there while watching my brothers and sisters being massacred and hurt, but rather to defend them in the cause of Allah and for an arrow to enter into this side of my neck and exit through this side. And he pointed with his finger. Rasul when he saw his determination, he said, very well then, okay, come along. How can I deny you Firdaus? He went along and fought. The Muslims were victorious. So the Prophet ﷺ being the compassionate, loving Rasul of Allah, rahmatan lil'alameen, a mercy to all of mankind, he was the one who remembers those one or two people who no one else remembers. So he went looking for this Sahabi. He couldn't find him. Finally he found him on the floor with several of the mushrikeen around him and he had killed them. And he was dead in the middle of them. Rasul ﷺ looked at him and saw exactly where he had pointed to his neck. An arrow had entered from here and exited from there. Allah had given exactly what he wanted. Listen to what the Prophet ﷺ said. This is the point. Bakhin bakh. This is an Arabic uh, statement, sort of expression they used to use when they are, you know, something is out of the ordinary. He said, Bakhin bakh. Far out. Wow. Well, what do you know? Like that. Bakhin bakh. Rajulun, Rajulun, دخل الفردوس الأعلى ولم يسجد لله سجدة. A man enters the highest places of paradise that any person can reach with the prophets and the martyrs, and he has never prostrated once in his life. لا إله إلا الله. He enters الفردوس and has never, his head never touched the ground in prostration once in his life. This is a hope for us, inshallah. That sometimes we do a small act, and sometimes we cannot do so many major acts, else we couldn't do them. 
Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes you enter the highest places of paradise. So my brothers and sisters in Islam, it is not about quantity of action, but rather it is the quality of the action. No, no. It is the quality of the action. You could come into the masjid and you and another person are praying in the same row, in the front row, behind the best of all imams, with the best outfit, with your thawb, with your beard, the sister with a complete hijab, standing perfectly in the line, shoulder to shoulder, foot to foot, like heel to heel, calf to calf, in the best form, with the best recitation behind the best imam, in the best masjid, in Masjid al-Nabawi if you like, in Mecca, right in the front row in front of the Kaaba. Huh? And your, eye, your, your, your eyes are tearing. But the person next to you could be receiving rewards like planets upon planets more than you. And you're probably receiving a little bit. You're doing the same thing, exactly the same thing. What is it that differentiates between this person and this person, brothers and sisters? What is it that differentiates, brothers and sisters? The intention. intention. Now, Where did I get this from? Well, I just mentioned one dalil. The other dalil is when Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had a few, had a few days to live and he stood up in Masjid al-Nabawi and he said a man is being given the opportunity to live or to die, meet his Lord and he has chosen the hereafter. Rasul sallallahu was speaking about himself and no one understood this except Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. He said he chose the hereafter. So Abu Bakr radiallahu started to cry and said, Fidaka abi wa ummi ya Rasulullah. I would ransom my father and mother for you ya Rasulullah. Or I would ransom myself for you before my mother and father. The, all the people looked at him and said, this man, this old man, Abu Huraira said, this old man is crying and weeping over some story about the Prophet ﷺ saying a man was given the option between living or going to the hereafter and he chose the hereafter and Abu Bakr is crying like a baby. What's wrong with him? Rasul ﷺ knew that Abu Bakr knew that he was talking about himself ﷺ, that he was going to die in a few days. And Abu Bakr Rasul ﷺ turned to Abu Bakr and said, every door so this masjid has been closed. Meaning, every person who has done a favor for the Messenger of Allah, or Messenger of Allah has returned that favor in another way. No one, he doesn't owe anyone anything. Except the door of Abu Bakr anhu. I cannot ever repay him enough. Later on the companion said, we knew that Abu Bakr was the most knowledgeable of us. The point of that is, Rasul then said later on, by God, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did not beat anyone, anyone in his closeness to Allah and in his status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by fasting more than others, by praying more than others, by donating more than others. وَلَكِنْ بِشَيْءٍ وَقَرَ فِي قَلْبِهِ وَصَدَّقَهُ الْعَمَلِ But it was because of something special that none of you could reach that existed inside his heart. And his actions proved it. When he did two raka'at, what was inside of him, the khushu' level, the concentration level, the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
his thought process, his feelings, his ears, his eyes, his mind, his legs, his hands, everything, everything in his body was fully in khushu'ah. In absolute meditation, serenity, submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a manner we cannot describe. This requires a long way to reach. And this is why Abu Bakr anhu increased all of you. Sometimes you do a good deed that no one can see. No one can see. And it will make you become one of those promised paradise. Did I say promised paradise? Yes, promised paradise. And I'll tell you how. And again, this is why the shaitan loves to concentrate on your inner self rather than your outside appearance. In fact, the shaitan doesn't care about your outside appearance. He loves you to grow your beard. What's wrong with that? He loves the sister to wear her hijab. What's wrong with that? He loves you to pray in the masjid. He doesn't care. He's ready to use that against you. In fact, he loves it. If you did all the best deeds of the world and, and, and spent all your time and energy away from your family, away from everybody, for the, you know, doing these good acts, and then make it all become useless. That's the greatest achievement of the shaitan. Greatest achievement. Listen to this beautiful hadith of a man, again, to give you hope about actions that sometimes they don't have to be physical, but they can be in your heart. Here is a very good example of which earned one of the sahabas the title of being one of the those promised paradise. But without mentioning him, we don't know his name. He was one of the Ansar. One of the Ansar. We know who the Ansar are? Yes? We all know the Ansar? Put your hand up if you know who the Ansar are, so I don't explain who they are. Hands up if you don't know who the Ansar is. Aha, uh-huh, very good. As long as there's one person, I will explain. The Ansar were the people who followed the Prophet ﷺ and gave him victory, but they didn't live in Mecca, they lived in Medina. There were a, a number of tribes, and they welcomed the Prophet ﷺ to migrate from Mecca to Medina. They gave him victory, and that is where in their land, in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ built his masjid, and Islam grew from there. That was the cell of the state of Islam. They were called the Ansar. They were the Aws and Khazraj, tribes and around them uh, seven other tribes these people the ansar were very special they used to put anyone else in need before themselves even though they were more in need than them and this is how allah he tells us that sometimes a good action that you do can be multiplied multiplied because of your intention as opposed to an action that could be the size of a mountain in the eyes of people, but it's only worth an atom to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because a person does it for the wrong reason. Or a person may donate. Rasul said, a person donates a little bit, but they are in need of that money. Then a person donating a lot and they are rich in money. Which one's reward is greater? The one done while they are in need. This is Sahih Hadith. A person donating, helping, giving a form of charity while they are in need, their reward is greater than the one who is very, very comfortable in wealth and gives a little bit more than that person. So the reward increases or decreases depending on the situation of the person, the place where you are, the intention. This particular Sahabi, this Ansari, Al Rasul was sitting in Masjid al Nabawi, in his Masjid. And then he turned after, I think, uh, just before Salat al-Zuhr al-Asr, and he said to them, 
سوف يطلع عليكم رجل سوف يطلع عليكم رجلا من أهل الجنة Very soon a man is about to appear in front of you He will be one of He is one of the people of paradise All the sahabas are there Umar Abu Bakr, Uthman, Ali Musab ibn Umair Abu Abayd ibn al-Jarrah Amr ibn al-As Bilal radiallahu anhu All these great companions are sitting there Fatima radiallahu anha Aisha radiallahu anha All these companions are sitting there And they're all waiting Who is this person? Suddenly a man from the Ansar came out And he was dripping water because of wudu So everyone thought Is it the wudu? No The next day Rasul sallallahu said the same thing سَيَطْلُوا عَلَيْكُمْ رَجُلًا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ Again, the same Ansari came out. On the third day, he said it again, the same Ansari came out. One of the companions, who was he? Abdullah ibn Amr? Naam. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As? Radiyallahu anhuma. He said, Wallahi, tonight I will follow this person to go and have a look at what he does. More than us, so that I may copy him, so I may be one of the people of paradise. What is Abdullah ibn Abd al-As focusing on, brothers and sisters? The deeds, the outside actions. Isn't that correct? What he's about to discover is something opposite to that. So he went there and he made up this story to him and said, you know, I had a, a little disagreement with my father and we agreed that I'm just going to sleep outside. Uh, obviously, he told him the truth after the three nights. But in those three nights, he looked at him and, s- and found that uh, that day... Uh, Abdullah ibn Abd al-As was fasting and he was known for his intense fasting the Sahabi was not fasting so he thought to himself well I guess it's not the fasting which he beat us with because I'm fasting more than him he kept it to himself that night he wanted to pray Qiyam so he wanted to stay up and not go to sleep and pray the Ansari went to sleep subhanallah and then just before Fajr, the Sahabi stood up, the Ansari, and he prayed. Tahajjud. He said to himself, well, I guess it's not the night prayer. That's another one. The next morning, he kept watching his actions. He was doing everything every other Sahabi did, if probably even less. On the third day, he was about to leave because the Arabs, and also in Islamic, uh, from the Sunnah, is to... Look after your guest for three days and three nights maximum. We should not burden the, the host more than three nights and three days. I don't know about the West. You know, they sit in that house two, three hours and I don't know what we feel after that. Huh? When's he going to leave? Well, I've got to go to shopping right now. See, The wife now is going to give me a headache. <laughs> we gave you the, the shoy, the tea and everything. Time to leave. <laughs> no. So what happened on the third day? He climbed up on his horse and was about to leave and he said to him the truth. Listen, I didn't have anything wrong between me and my father. Honestly, Rasul said this about you and I came to learn what is it that you do of more actions than us that made you earn this title of being of the people of paradise. He said, Wallahi, what you saw of me is it. That's it. There's nothing else. So Abdullah ibn Abdul Aas was going miserably, you know, sort of sad. I didn't get to know. Then the man called him back. He said to him, come. He said, you know what, there's something that I do maybe that cannot be seen. There isn't a night that I go to sleep before my eyelids shut except that I judge my heart. And any person, any mu'min on the face of the earth who I have a problem with, a grudge, a hatred, 
a jealousy, an envy, an ill feeling, I concile it and I get rid of it and I do not sleep until my heart is clear. And that's when Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As said to him, this is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ said you are from the people of paradise. Ya khwan, we always focus on the actions on the outside, but let us not forget the actions of the heart. It is the actions of the heart which make a person a believer or a disbeliever. It is the actions of the heart which make a person's actions the size of a mountain or the size of an egg. It is the heart. And this gives us good tidings and bad tidings. It gives us good news because there are people who are unable, for example, to donate as much as other people. There are people who want to go to Hajj, for example, and they're still unable. There are people who want to fast, but their health is so bad they can't fast, so they think that they've lost out on all these rewards. There are people who look at other people and think, Subhanallah, they've got more knowledge than me in the deen. So how lucky they are, they get to practice more than me and their actions are better than mine. And little old me, and I'm sitting here, all I know is a few ayat from the Qur'an. I know, you know, how to pray five times a day and I barely know the sunnahs and how much they are. I'm learning and I'm struggling. There are people who can read the Qur'an, mashallah, look at them, memorize the whole Qur'an. And they recite it better than me and here I am still struggling to recite Al-Fatiha. There are people, you know, you think like that, yeah? But on the other hand, have you forgotten that maybe their heart is different to yours? Maybe their heart will make them, when they're reading the Qur'an, the Qur'an is cursing them. It could be that their heart, when they are praying, the salat afterwards, it cries. And the angel comes down, as in the hadith, and they fold the prayer like a piece of ragged clothing. And the prayer cries, and the angel hits you across the face with it, and the prayer says, May Allah lose you as you have lost me. Because the intentions were wrong. Did you not hear the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ says, there are people who recite the Qur'an and they find it hard upon themselves to recite it. They will receive double the reward. Double the reward. No. There are people who struggle more than others in doing good deeds. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-ajru ala qadrin mashaqqah. The reward of an action is accordance, in accordance with how much hardship you go through. There are three types of patience levels when you're doing your actions. There is patience in being steadfast, continuously doing good deeds. The five daily prayers that we do, the five daily prayers that we do can be difficult. Constantly doing them, waking up at Fajr time, and then remembering at Dhuhr time, and then afterwards in Isha, and then coming to the masjid in congregation, and then following it up with the sunnah over and over and over and over. Subhanallah, there is a struggle in that, and this is one form of patience. The more you are patient in that, and you are steadfast, and you fight yourself, and you wrestle yourself, and you say to yourself, No, wallahi, on the day of judgment, I want to. I want to compete with the Sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ in entering Jannah. I'm going to stay up in the night even if my legs fail me. There's a difference between this patience and another patience. And the second type of patience is to be patient on haram deeds. To continue to wrestle against yourself to stop yourself from doing something haram. Sometimes in the middle of the night when no one is watching us, especially the young people who are not married. 
And unfortunately, sad to say that even married people now are into this because subhanAllah, the internet world is such an epidemic, such an addictive thing that a person can just merely click, one click, and there you go. You have a website that fills all your negative desires. The shaitan comes to you at that time and begins to whisper, no one is watching. Don't worry, Allah will forgive you. Allah will forgive you, don't worry. You just have that pray Fajr insha'Allah and everything will be gone. Go and donate a few dollars, um, pounds and, and it will be gone insha'Allah. So what happens? This person gets in the middle of the night and they fall prey to their desires and begin to do the bad deeds. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ comes to mind. He said, The majority of the reasons why members of my ummah will end up in hellfire. Does a Muslim end up in hellfire? It's possible. It's possible. Don't ever think that you are safe from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by sitting down and saying, well, I'm a Muslim, I don't need to pray, I don't need to really concentrate much, I don't need to wear hijab, I don't need to focus a lot, alhamdulillah, I'm guaranteed paradise. Don't ever say that to yourself. Because that's when the shaitan gets you when your guards are down. The Rasul said, the majority of the reasons why members of my ummah will enter hellfire for a temporary time, yani, inshallah, so long as you have never made shirk, is because, listen to this, is because of taking minor sins for granted. We look at the minor sins and we accumulate them, accumulate them, accumulate them, and we don't care. We don't care. There's a difference between people who do minor sins and they feel guilty about it. So they pray their prayer hoping that they'll be forgiven. But there are people who do their minor sins and they think that it's nothing. Oh, who cares? It's just a look. It's just, who cares? And they're happy about it. In fact, some of them share this idea with others about it. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. We ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to save us from this type of people. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahmatullahi alayhi, understood this trick and never wanted to pollute his actions. So one night, on his deathbed, he was dying, and his son Abdullah entered, and he saw his father yatanaza, meaning he was in the intoxications of death. Even the believer goes through that where you go unconscious for a little while, as if you are intoxicated, drunk, but you are not drunk. He heard his father, Imam Ahmad, saying in his unconsciousness, not yet, not yet, not yet. So Abdullah said to himself, subhanAllah, this is a bad sign. I heard the Prophet ﷺ say, man ahabba Allahu liqa'a, man ahabba liqa'a Allah, ahabba Allahu liqa'a. Whoever loves to meet Allah at death time, Allah loves to meet him. And my father seems like he doesn't want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't want to die yet. Not yet, not yet. So when his father came round, the son immediately asked him, Dad, father, why were you saying not yet, not yet? Do you not want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is there something wrong? He said, my son, teach others this. The shaitan comes to a person at the time of their deathbed. And he begins to try and get them at the time of weakness. He comes to me and said to me, لَقَدْ فَلَتَّ مِنِّي يَا أَحْمَدْ You have escaped my tricks, Ya Ahmad. And I understood that the shaitan was doing another one of his um, tricks. He wanted me to lay my guards down. Thinking that, I have won. And when I put my guards down, he will get me with something and all my actions of my life will be destroyed. 
So I said to him, not yet, <laughs> not yet. I have not escaped your tricks. I have not left yet. The battle between you and I is not over yet. You cannot trick me. Even to the last point where the soul has to come out from the gargling point. The tricks of the shaitan never cease, my dear brothers and sisters. So be aware of him. Be aware of him. Lastly, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahmatullahi alayhi, he was sitting in Hishab, in the masjid in Kufa. When the recitation was heard, on that day, it says, the day when all of the people shall be gathered throughout the land on the day of judgment in order to watch and see and witness their deeds. What the have they put forth? Whoever has done an atom's worth of good deed, it will be revealed. Atom, atom, dharra. And whoever has done the atom's size of a bad deed, it will be revealed. Imam Abu Hanifa sat there pondering over this verse and crying until his beard was soaked with tears. Wallahi, he did not get off his position. All through the night, crying and weeping and calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save him. Until Fajr time approached. The Musalleen came in at the time of Fajr and they found Imam Abu Hanifa still sitting in the same position he was in from the day before at Isha time. Wallahi, he did not even get up for wudu'. On one wudu' he stayed, pondering and thinking on this verse. They said, what's wrong with you, ya Imam, rahimatullah? He started reciting the verses. Not an atom's worth of good deed except that it will be revealed. Not an atom's worth of bad deed except that it will be revealed. Woe, destruction to a nu'man. That's his name. If his Lord does not give him mercy. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Let us monitor our deeds, my dear brothers and sisters. And on a day of judgment when the books will be revealed, everybody, Rasul Sallallahu was sitting with Aisha radiallahu anha, I'm just concluding insha'Allah. Aisha radiallahu anha was sitting with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when his head, when his cheek was on her lap. He was lying down, sleeping on her lap. Which is a good advice for some husbands and wives to share, insha'Allah, intimacy and closeness. When Aisha radiallahu anha was striking you know, his hair with her fingers, and then her tear dropped onto the cheek of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This woke up Rasul sallallahu and he said to her, Ma biki ya Aisha? What's wrong with you, Aisha? Is everything okay? Why are you crying? And Aisha radiallahu anha said, Ya Rasulullah, I just started thinking about the Day of Judgment, the hereafter. Will we remember the people we used to love? 
Will we remember the people you we used to love? Our husbands, our children, our fathers, our mothers. Will we, will we remember them? Rasul then sat up straight and took the matter very seriously. And his face went pale. He said to her, Ya Aisha, on that day there will be three moments, three stances, when no one will remember anyone else except themselves. When they are crossing the Sirat, when the scales are brought to weigh your deeds, and when the books, the records are about to be given, what have you put forth? He said, no one remember anyone except himself. Not even the prophets. Wallahi, not even the prophets. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَئِذٍ تُعْرَضُونَ لَا تَخْفَى مِنْكُمْ On that day you shall be displayed. Not a single secret will be hidden from you. As for those who receive their book in their right, He will call out to everyone, Everyone read my book! Wallahi, I believed in this day when I will receive my book. I believed in the hereafter. I believed in the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Suddenly he is in paradise. Its fruit is dangling easy for him to reach. Eat and drink comfortably and enjoy your life forever. As a reward. For the days that meant nothing, that passed, that were never going to last anyway. The long days that are forgotten. As for the one who receives their book in the, in the left, He will say, Oh, I wish I never received my record. I wish I didn't even ask for my records to be shown. I wish, I wish that this day would be my destruction. I wish I could have died. I wish I could have been like the animals turned into dust. Gone. I wish I never were to be raised again. And Allah says, sultania. All my power and wealth failed me. Allah says, take him and encompass him in chains the size of this and that and place him into hellfire. And I finish it with this beautiful hadith of hope. On the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call out to the angels to say to them, call for this person and I will call you by your name. By your name. 
And the angels will say, Fulan ibn Fulan, so-and-so son of so-and-so, come. This hadith is sahih. It's in Tirmidhi. It's also part of it is in Muslim. Part of it is in Bukhari. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather all its different parts and its different narrations and put it in one story for you. So I don't want people to come and say, where is this full hadith? It's not a full hadith. I'm bringing all the sahih hadith and putting them together to make this story for you. The angels will call out, so-and-so, son of so-and-so, come to a judgment from your Lord, and you will be called. The believer will be called. And then Rasul said, the light of Allah begins to encompass this person until the angels no longer see you. So you're hidden from their eyes. You ready to hear the end of this story? Yes? So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins to call this person to come closer. Rasul says that Allah will say, Abdi udnu minni, come closer. So you come closer, you come closer, you come closer. Rasul said, Allah will speak to him, There is no interpreter between you and Allah. He will understand what Allah is saying to you. And there will only be a veil between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah will say to you, Abdi, my servant. Do you remember when you did such and such of a bad deed in secret and no one else saw you except me? And he will say, yes, Ya Rabbi, I do remember. Didn't you know that there will be a God, Allah, me, your Lord, who will judge you today? He'll say, yes, Ya Rabbi. Didn't you know that I will punish? Yes, Ya Rabbi. Weren't you aware that I was watching you? Don't you respect me? Don't you respect your life? And he starts to say this to this person until the person says, Ya Rabbi, please, for you to throw me into hellfire, it's better than to you question me like this. Please just throw me in hellfire. I'm done. I'm done. It's over. Then Allah says, wait, what about this bad deed? So he brings up a greater bad deed. What about this in secret? I haven't finished with you yet. When you did this, didn't you know a Lord is watching you? Didn't you know this? And he repeats the same thing over and over, reprimanding him until the person says, Ya Rabbi, please, please throw me into hellfire. I'm ready. Wallahi, I cannot face you. Then Allah says, wait, what about this deed? He brings up a greater deed. When you did it in secret, how dare you do even that? Even worse, even worse. And he continues to do that. And the person says, Ya Rabbi, throw me into hellfire. Throw me into hellfire. Throw me into hellfire. Until finally the person says, I have no chance of entering paradise. Is this what Allah called me for? To tell me this. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, My servant. The interpretation of it is, Why did you keep it a secret? As if Allah is saying that. And the servant said, says, I was shy, embarrassed of you, my Lord. I never exposed this sin to anyone. I was embarrassed of it. I felt guilty about it. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to him or her, Abdi, didn't you realize something? I kept it a secret, covered in the former life. If I wanted to, I could have exposed you, but I didn't. Don't you give that a bit of thought? I kept it a secret in a former life, and today I will also keep it a secret between you and me. No angel will know about it. Your records will not have it, they're erased. And only you and I will ever know this. Then Allah reminds you of a good deed that you've ever done. He starts off with the smallest one. And then he goes to the second bigger one, and bigger, and greater, until finally, you receive your book in the right, 
and you exit out saying to everyone, ha! No one cares, you know? No one really cares. Everybody's worried about themselves. But you know, when someone's excited, you just shout and scream anyway. You don't want to read it? Well, I don't care. Look what's in my record. Everybody's looking in misery. And you're saying, I'm, and you're singing along. You know, imagine someone skipping along and saying, I'm going to Jannah, I'm going to Jannah, like that. So he's skipping around, doesn't care who hears them, doesn't hear them. They're just happy and singing. Reminds me of a romantic film. You know, romantic films when they're in love. Yeah, and they sing around. Everybody thinks, oh, shush up, you're crazy. I'm just happy. I don't care what you think. So you're going to Jannah happily like that, ready to meet your beautiful spouse in Jannah, insha'Allah ta'ala, men or women, ready to enjoy and ready to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and see His face, subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like unto Him, but we say that Allah will reveal Himself in a manner that we cannot understand in this world. And you will see your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala as it is stated in the Qur'an, وَجُوهُ يَوْمَئِذٍ نَاظِرَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهَا نَاظِرَ On that day faces will be brightened with light looking at their Lord. And in the hadith of Bukhari, you will see your Lord without any problems whatsoever. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our deeds. Ramadan is coming and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our sins. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us among those who do not backbite. And if we do, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to assist us in stopping this bad habit. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us among those who do their actions in the best of our intentions. And I ask Allah to save us from our bad desires in the shaitan. I thank you for having me. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروا أسأل الله فوفقنس وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله